I'm excited about how technology is uh, being democratized, how it's plunging in cost. One of our missions is to positively impact one billion people. The relevance of a new technology to solving problems that affect like a billion people. All great stuff happens because someone inspires someone else to do something. The next wave of innovation is going to be eroding the territory. How's it, everybody? Welcome to 2021. Hope you had a great break in 2020 and that you are ready to take this year on with positivity and energy. These recordings of these podcasts were done during the lockdown period of our Exponential Africa live show. Hope you enjoy them. There's some amazing people on it. Uh, Take a listen and learn something. Time to move into the main part of tonight's show. Is human flight the future of mobility? To fly like an eagle soaring in the sky has always been a dream of visionaries and predictors of the future. From the Jetsons to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy to Iron Man, we have predicted that human flight will be a reality in our future. Commercial flight revolutionized travel and mobility, and now with new advances in tech and human ingenuity, is fast becoming the next wave of mobility. The freedom of human flight gives us some sort of superhero feeling and is the ultimate desire. And tonight we have Richard Browning and Emmanuel Isenwery. Let's start by welcoming Richard. Richard Browning is the founder and chief test pilot for Gravity Industries, which designs, builds, and flies jet suits, pioneering a new era of human flight. The company was founded in March 2017 to challenge the perceived boundaries in human aviation and to inspire others to dare to ask what if. It now scales towards an international race series. Gravity has to date been experienced by over 1 billion people globally, with Richard and his cohort of growing pilots completing over 100 live missions around the world and speaking at dozens of events from TED Talks to XPRIZE. Prior to founding Gravity, Richard was a Royal Marines Reservist for six years and an oil trader with BP for 16 years, even though he looks very young. He discovered and implemented major new technologies, winning the BP Group Innovation Award. Richard, great to have you on. Yeah, delighted to be here. Thanks thanks for joining us. Uh, where, Where are you at the moment? You're in the UK. I am in the UK, but uh, I'm at a holiday cottage with uh, not a hugely great Wi-Fi setup. So um, I hope, hopefully, hopefully people can hear me, but uh, the visuals aren't going to be. Awesome. Well, uh, the last time we were together, we were together actually a few times over the last few years. Um, you came and you flew at our Singularity South Africa Summit in 2018 um, on the Kailami racetrack. And then we were together in Prague, uh, where you flew across the bridge in Prague. How do you, what gave you the idea to create this jet suit and to go on this journey? Yeah, yeah, they, they were two great events. So uh, thank you for that. And uh, yes, it is a shame that uh, COVID has uh, put a temporary pause on our events uh, for now. But yeah, we, we, as you said, hit over 181 countries in the last three years. But uh, yeah, the, the, this, um, it really stems from, I suppose, a, uh, a kind of lifelong passion for taking on unusual challenges. Um, I suppose that, that joy you get from ground and, uh, and pursuing things that even you don't think are know, just on the basis that every now and then you discover something completely new and supposedly not, not possible. 
And I suppose flight, it's um, it's something I, I guess I've been passionate about for a long time, but also family was from the world of aviation and engineering. So in a way, I'm rekindling a lot spirit, I suppose. And I suppose the last operation was really, uh, actually came from my time with the military where I, I, I suppose I, I learned myself just how you can really push the human mind and body to learn and develop uh, new skills and uh, you know do things that you, you did possible. So when it came to flight, I thought I'd support my body weight uh, in a sort of gymnastic way fairly in an unusual kind of position like uh, the flag or the planche or whatever, then why can't I go and replace the support of a bar or the floor or some other structure with the momentary of a form of, uh, you know, propulsion? Um, so like a gas turbine, where back in 2016, the journey started. And it was just one of those kind of joy-fueled explorations, something really possible that led to then finally achieving that first flight in the back end of 2016. And in this marvelous uh, journey ever since, really, on exploring and developing. Some of the clips you just put up there were only from a couple of weeks ago with some of our latest wing uh, development work. And in parallel to that, we've got a heavy lift version that lifts a lot more than a lot more fuel than we've been lifting in the past and it's extended the range signal. Yeah, we're not slowing down at all. I think it's amazing exactly, you know, how quickly that you've developed this tech and how quickly it's evolved. And how much you've done in the last couple of years it's just phenomenal i mean have you how many iterations are you on on the on the jet suit i really count them because often one iteration blends into the next one so for instance this heavy lift variant we're playing with at the moment uh, i've just been planning while i've been down here on holiday how i'm going to go and actually take apart with the team the latest prototype and evolve it in a few other states a few other ways that i think will be um uh, beneficial so you know does that count as two iterations or just modifying the first one i don't know if you really add them up though it's many many hundreds of uh, iterations and, and our ethos is very much not being afraid to experiment relentlessly keep tearing up old assumptions and trying again with new things um you know we, we've been through so many different iterations just with the core jet suit let alone all the other variants like the winged variant for instance um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's a joy really to be part of a process that's so nimble and able to break such new ground all the time. I think that's a great lesson for you know, inventors and disruptors and you know, everyone watching the show is that you need to, it's, it's not a, you know, one, it's not, you're not like you came up with that idea and then you just had a flying suit. You've gone through hundreds of iterations um, and you know, I'm sure it's been countless hours and you know, traveling to 101 countries, that's already quite a quite a feat and a lot of work involved. So I think, you know, it's, it's really inspiring the amount of passion and commitment you've shown towards furthering this, this, uh, this invention. Yeah, I mean, we sometimes feel like we've opened the door onto a whole new realm of human mobility or human flight that wasn't really formally seen as possible. And therefore, having achieved the first, seems like there's a rich terrain landscape of opportunity there. Um, so so, you know, for instance, the wisdoms for those listening that can remember the Harrier aircraft. I mean, I think the Spanish Air Force still use it. The Harrier aircraft used to blow air downwards and lift off the ground and then vector that thrust backwards and turn into a, a jitter. In, in a strange way, the closest analogy to how we fly is probably the Harrier aircraft. We've got a couple of former UK Harrier pilots on our wider team. Um, so inspired by that, why can't we actually start generating lift for wings 
um, as we start progressing forward. And, and that's how we delivered the last world record that we set at 85 miles an hour, 135 kilometers an hour, uh, using that leg wing. The beginners already the experiments behind the scenes of adding an upper body wing have, have led to even greater improvements in running and speed. So yeah, it's brilliant fun. I mean, I, I'd say our key rule that is applicable to other organizations is constantly explore and try things, get used to failing as long as that failure is entirely recoverable. You know, as far as possible, we minimize risk, even though it might not look like it from what we're, you know, we're flying at speed over water, only usually probably three or four meters over water. It's still going to hurt. And we crashed a few times at speed and water, but it's it's a lot safer than doing it over land. And it allows us to be prudentious in trying new things, having that ethos. Just make sure you can physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, whatever you like, get back up again from every failure. That's the mantra, really. And uh, you know what I also uh, love the idea of that when you came to South Africa for, for the summit, you, you know, we were, it was quite, the altitude was quite a challenge for you. So to, to be able to fly, you, 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 you know, you did a number of things in order to do that. Uh, Want to just share that with us, what you, what you did? Yeah, that's been one of the, one of the both joys and challenges and, and I suppose benefits as well of flying in so many different countries. Um, I think you guys in Johannesburg um, held the record in terms of our company of the uh, joint equal highest altitude we've flown at, uh, how high the land is above the ground, obviously. Um, we, the other place we flew at about 6,000 feet was in the mountains in Arizona for um, GoPro. In both instances, um, the air density, as you know, is very low for the generation from the engines. is percent less than it is um in fact even worse than that depending on the air um, at sea level so to make sure that to deliver the event that, that we were flying out for you um yes we we stripped all possible weight off the uh, jet suit i removed the uh the the fod covers they're called the covers on the engines um they restrict the airflow a tiny bit but in return for protecting them but we took those off because you get a tiny power if you take them off um, and I went for a pretty long run <laughs> the night before just to make sure I was particularly light as well. I don't think I had much breakfast. Um, I, I mean, we were that. fine. But yeah, we, yeah, yeah we, we were fine. But, but I mean, it was nice building that because you it had to be entirely precise on the day with exactly how little or how much rust you're going to get. So, uh, yeah, it's really fun. It's clearly more fun when you manage to execute the event and we've never, never failed to. But, uh, yeah, it was an interesting challenge to experience. No, thanks. Uh, we, I think it's so exciting, uh, this, this entire ecosystem and this industry and this invention that you've created. Um, and we will come back to you in a moment. Uh, we're going to just welcome on our next guest, who is Emmanuel Isenwery. Emmanuel is an innovator and an entrepreneur who is passionate about solving global problems. He is the founder and chief executive officer at Aron Aerial Logistics. At Aron, he builds autonomous navigation technology, leveraging computer system, Search in planning, AR, deep learning, and sensor fusion. Aron is revolutionizing delivery in Africa by providing a faster, cheaper, and more eco-friendly delivery solution using autonomous drones. Emmanuel, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me here. Great to have you. Thanks for joining us uh, from Nigeria. Well, where are you in Nigeria at the moment? I'm in Enugu State, um, a beautiful state, uh, the core city state in Nigeria. Awesome. Um, do you want to tell us, I mean, you've got quite an interesting background and 
You did a lot of studying at Stanford and in San Francisco at Silicon Valley at Udacity. Uh, do you want to tell us some of those things that you did, those courses? Uh, uh, you know, why, what, was it, what was the reason for trying to learn from, from there and bring it back to Africa? Yeah, um, a proud university graduate. And Udacity has been very instrumental in um, giving me the knowledge required to build like really practical and um, functional engineering projects that have defined um, me in the past three years. Um, first started with the AI now degree. I was just passionate about robotics and uh, the software that enables robots function smart. And that led me to studying about robotics, about artificial intelligence and machine learning. So as soon as I was done with that, I wanted to be able to build something practical. Uh, I was really interested in drones. So that was the perfect opportunity uh, to build um, autonomy and apply AI to their navigation. And so that took me into their flying canal degree. And yeah, we started off uh, 2018 with our very early stage prototype. We had a few challenges with them and then we kept on refining and refining and eventually we were able to achieve um, takeoff at 20 kg pivot capacity, which was um, done last year uh, around November. That's no, that's re that's really awesome. I think it's uh, incredible how you can, you know, uh, just within a few short years, how you've gone and uh, done a Udacity course, a few Udacity courses like uh, the autonomous vehicles and the flying car courses. And now you are building the next generation of uh, drone delivery uh, in Africa, which is just so exciting. Um, what what is the latest drone? What can your latest drone do now? Oh yeah, so our latest drone is a 20 kg pillar capacity drone and it can lift um, up to 20 kg for up to 50 kilometers and deliver up to 50 kilometers and this was our test, um, it flew really well and yeah, we're currently refining this uh, to be able to do deliveries within all weather conditions and greater reliability in terms of um, the battery um, charging and recharging cycles. Yeah. What's also quite interesting is that it's, it's solving a huge problem in Nigeria with all the traffic. Uh, you know, it's very hard to move goods around, you know, unless you're on a motorbike and oh, have yeah. some nifty driving skills. So I think this is it's quite an uh, obvious uh, solution, right? Yeah, yeah. So like a city like Lagos, um, one of the most popular cities in um, Nigeria, has over 20 million um, people in a very um, crowded space. So you have a huge traffic problem. So, so this is like an ideal scenario where um, drone deliveries would make absolute sense in being able to deliver whether it's vital items or even um, e-commerce products from the mainland to the island, yeah, which um, would take about two hours or even more depending on the traffic, which is very unpredictable and break that time to 15 to 30 minutes. So yeah, um, the idea for Iran came uh, when I discovered that hospitals in rural areas, um, they didn't have the storage capacities to store blood units. So they would have to 
um, other blood units from a far distant laboratory when patients need them. And this was very unreliable, unpredictable, and had led to a number of deaths um, from overbleeding. So we wanted to be able to deliver medical supplies, primarily blood units, faster from that lab, which is about 60 kilometer away to that to those rural hospitals. And yeah, we're testing, we're currently in our uh, beta test. And yeah, I think there's a lot of potential for currently raising medical supplies and even more. No, it's such an exciting space. And, and the beauty of exponential technologies and this new tech is that it shortens these processes and these, these, the times in order to solve the problem. Uh, just like we had last week on AR, uh, we were speaking to Mark Nasilla, and he spoke about how the Manila AR algorithm shortened time from days into seconds. So I think it's the same with, with what you've been saying. And uh, let, let's jump into the main panel of this evening. Um, to, we've got our two guests, and uh, let, let's just go back to, to Richard. Just talking about, I wonder, before we get into uh, the, 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 the future of mobility, just talking about the future of racing what you've got planned for your race series, because that sounds very exciting. Yeah, so uh, the the vision, if you imagine the red race, for instance, uh, with the very high performance planes, uh, setting time around a series of water uh, pylons in a, uh, you know, in a harbour area or a area of, uh, you know, lake or river or whatever. That, that if you imagine bunch of guys and girls who are actually racing thousand horsepower jet suits that gives you some kind of idea of the vision here uh, we were all set to go to do the first race in um, uh, bermuda back in march just gone but obviously um you can imagine what happened with that uh, we were about three weeks away from getting on a plane with team to go and deliver it um now all of the plans are still there and we are you know constantly refining the formats behind the scenes and it will happen uh, and actually, I kind of wonder if the COVID has almost made the environment even potentially better for us from the point of view of delivering this, because we're a very nimble, very easy to um, set activation that's also very friendly to a digital platform. So in a, environment, in a really environment where budget, mainstream audio sports are struggling uh, somewhat, I think there might be some room to be able to... Uh, actually make up for lost time, probably in 2021, possibly even as late as 2022, given all the challenges though. But um, yeah, racing, I think it dawned on us that it's a wonderful arena to see the rapture of the equipment and the technology and public familiarity with what we do. Every time we've done events around the world, the feedback has tended to be um, people wanting to see more, see more pilots and see more speed and, and frankly, more what looks like danger and you can deliver that when you're over water because it looks dangerous and crazy but actually you, the worst case scenario is you just back down in the water and you float about I'm sorry for yourself um so that, that is the plan that is going to be hopefully the you know one of the main pinnacles of what we do um it just might be a little longer delayed no because it's so interesting because there's obviously a lot of um costs associated with the suit and it's quite a, it's a great strategy to move into something that uh, would be very exciting and, and, and break human ground and, and hugely engaging and develop the, the ecosystem further. You know, why do we need to look to the sky to think about the future of, of humans being, you know, mobile and, and flying? 
yeah i i mean you know we, we with reference to your you know your your piece here i mean uh you know I, i'll start by saying we didn't develop the jet suit with the idea of of immediately revolutionizing human um uh, we, we are genuinely aware of the challenge and the opportunity just to do something that hasn't been um, however, it has dawned on us as a team that motorcars were considered noisy, smelly, and frankly a joke compared to a horse, which was the best technology at the time. Um, now, you know, it 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 takes too much of a leap to imagine actually as technology, particularly battery technology, evolves. Uh, we built an electric version of this; it just needs better energy storage. Um, it doesn't doesn't take too much of a leap. There being an increasingly mainstream role for individual human mobility and certainly flight seems to be an area human flight seems to be an area that is just relentlessly inspiring to people i think ever since anybody was a kid and looking up and looking at what it can do i think it's quite hard to not be inspired and dream the same freedom um that again is certainly the feedback we seem to constantly observe events around the world so you know um like you see on a you know this is mixing my examples up here now but um a bit like you see these ludicrous things walking down the catwalk at a fashion show, and uh, you never see those things actually make it to the high street, but actually the extreme version of what later informs um, trends and ideas and themes. So, you know, I, I'd say at the minimum, we've stimulated people's imaginations about what's the and what might be a really interesting way of moving humans around. But for now, racing events, training clients, you know, some of our military and search and rescue work, that is more than keeping us busy. I'm sure. And uh, Emmanuel, what are your thoughts around this, around, you know, why, why would we need to take to the skies for humans and for transport of goods? Well, well because it's very practical. Uh, you have a lot more degrees of motion in flying. Uh, you can go up and down uh, besides just going um, moving in two-dimensional surface. So I think um, one, you, you're able to, 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 to move um, above the traffic and which can be immensely um, useful in doing certain things, going from point A to B or delivering items from point A to B. Um, you're able to achieve um, greater speed than you would on road. So that still ties into being able to get from point A to B faster than you would on road. I do think um, there are a lot more, there are some um, issues that need to be solved for um, human powered flight to kick off like a shoot, um, tying into power and um, and um, reliability still ties into power and the autonomy behind uh, in navigating these aircrafts. So I think um, when these issues are addressed, um, it's going to kick off um, really well. Awesome, thanks. I think we're gonna start moving over to a few questions. We're getting a lot of questions in the, in the chat. Um, and then we will keep those questions coming. Uh, let's, let's start off with a first question here from um, Chalet, from Dan McKaylee, who's actually asking, what is the envisioned price point for the suit? Currently, what is it, Richard, and what, what is your envisioned price point for the suit? I think Daniel wants to buy one. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I, you know, our main aim has not been to sell them, um, but we have had our arms twisted a couple of times and sold the car. Um, and the price of both of them, in, in both cases, $40,000 US dollars. Um, I, I would much, sorry? Kind of, 
Yeah. How much was that? Oh, sorry, $440,000 US wow. dollars. Um, now, our our in this, whether we're selling them or uh, uh, just giving somebody the awareness, we insist that they come to one of our, is either in LA or in the UK, and learn to fly one of the other. You can learn very quickly. We actually just had only a couple of weeks ago Bear Grylls and his sort of his boys um, come and learn, and they both managed to do it in a morning. Um, it's a bit like watching a child learn to ride a bike. It it is a very strange process where your brain just clicks, and after a few minutes, um, even as quick as that, you you just feel it, and the balance just absorbs, and you're you're off. Um, so irrespective of uh, whether you want to buy one or not, we thoroughly recommend that um, people come and learn with us. Awesome, man. and I think sorry you were breaking up a little bit. You can you can learn in LA and in the UK. You said yes. Those are locations where we have flight training centres. We've just set up a new one in Goodwood, in the UK. Actually, awesome. No, thanks for that. Um, we've got another question here from. Let me just see from Shalendri Hurry, and um, this is this is for for you, Emmanuel. Uh, he's asking. Flying clearly solves the traffic congestion problem in dense environments. However, the legislation CA does not seem to have kept up. Why is that? Is that because of the noise or what? Yeah, I think regulations like still is a big issue. It takes too long. Like in Nigeria, the NCAA um, is the institution um, for regulating um, drones and it takes six months to, to get a license and the best case scenario and it's quite expensive when compared to the united states um it costs about uh two thousand dollars in nigeria while in the u.s i think it's five dollars um, to register your drone so i think yeah the their goal is to ensure that uh, the pilot can operate the drones safely and so that you don't go crashing into other aircrafts uh, but I think um, it needs to be more streamlined uh, so that a lot more people can be incentivized to um, register the drones and have the license, required license to operate them. Yeah, when we were flying our drones with Murphy, we didn't have a license. It was before, just, they had just come out and uh, the regulation was pretty, <laughs> we're still being worked out. So Murphy go had, had some fun. Uh, Richard, what's your take on this? Well, why why has this have has regulation sort of slowed down the industry? What can we do about it? Um, yeah, we've we've uh, we've had a great uh, story as far as regulation is concerned. Actually, um, we've got very good relationships with the US FAA, uh, the CAA in the UK, and even the Asian Authority in the UK. Um, either, so I am very sympathetic um, to the drone community here because. Actually, we fell into a strange gap between air and drones, where we were formally declared as not an aircraft nor a drone. Actually, having already delivered at this point at least 50 events, um, sets of authorities, somewhat informally, if you keep your record clean and keep being sensible, circulating, not selling these to anybody on the uh, and don't do silly things like fly over people or fly over property, all the sensible rules, frankly, that we were already implying ourselves, um, then there was no need to go and stick us in a brand new box. So actually, um, we've ended up with really no regulation. For us. Um, it's a bit like the day before drone regulation came in, where it was kind of open skies, you could do what you like. Uh, we'll have the luxury for hopefully quite some time 
that that will stay the case because we're only a small and extreme kind of um, form of flying and we don't pose any risk to people or property or other aircraft. Um, but as I say, I'm very very to the drone community where unfortunately it's been so successful, the drone as a, as a, as a creation, there is uh, examples of where they have caused problems with other aircraft or, you know, risk of falling on people. So unsurprisingly, the authorities have to be very conservative in in managing the risk of of to uh, the public. Um, so I, this is where I think Africa's got a big opportunity, though, because I think establishing safe corridors um, where you can take advantage of the greater open spaces um, and for, for specialist and niche and important products, and things, I think you've got a big advantage, certainly compared to the UK, where it's such a densely populated place, it's very hard to find corridors that would avoid thing over people. Um, so it's going to be one of these things. Uh, and no one would sanction the motor car if it was just invented now. You'd never get sign-off to be given a you know two-ton box at 70 miles an hour, a few feet uh, rated from somebody going the other way in another one. Ridiculous idea, and yet we're just used to it. So there will take some time, I'm sure, for the authorities to grow up with the technology of drones as that uh, proves its own track record. No, thanks for sharing that story. I think it's so interesting how you were too quick for the regulation and for, uh, for anyone to sort of classify you. So you were unclassified, and which gave you a bit of free, free reign to, to, you know, to really uh, design and, and develop it in your own way, which is totally well, inspiring. Well, yeah. to, uh, ironically, and it isn't ridiculous, but that gave us a window to build our own track record, prove that we were safe. Otherwise, there's a risk. You're in this impossible loop. We're not allowed to go and prove that you can be safe. No, and there's another example with uh, there's, there's 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 molecular whiskey that's been created, but uh, it's, you can't actually bring it into South Africa because it's unspecified. It's that you know, it hasn't been classified. So that is in like that loop, like you're talking about. Um, mm. But it's but it's amazing that, that, you, that, that where, where you've uh, you've gotten to with with the regulation. Uh, let's go to some more questions here. We've got a, a couple coming through from um, you people. Let's see who we're going to ask. Um, we have a question here from Talendri. Uh, wonder if this tech could cross into augmenting bicycles, skateboards, and motorcycles. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, we, we've, if, if that means what happens if you do all those things wear a jet suit, um, then in, a, in most cases we've, we've done that. If, um, I mean, that, that, that leads me to plug our uh, Instagram. If you look for Take On Gravity, like Take On Gravity, you can see most of this happening. Um, I've had various members of my team skateboard, fly off the back of motorbikes, um, uh, side and land on cars and other aircraft or other vehicles so yes if you want to add a bunch of horsepower to any of those activities we can do that it's a particularly noisy aggressive way of doing it but yes you can do it and uh let's let's move a bit on to to some of the drone uh, technology emmanuel what are you, what are you seeing at the moment what's exciting you in the drone space um in the, in the various industries that in the or the ecosystem 
Um, having more aerodynamic designs, um, eVTO tilt rotor aircrafts seem to be um, very promising. So being able to um, take advantage of the wings of the aircraft as well as um, rotors and the flexibility of rotors, it gives a lot more um, degrees of motion and energy efficiency to the drone. Um, also, um, having drones that um, understand, like have good understanding of um, their surrounding, um, whether using lidars or radars or even computer vision, uh, brings um, a lot more reliability to the aircraft. And when you pair this with um, uh, manned um, navigation, then you're significantly boosting the um, um, safety of the manned um, um, air taxi. So in, in two short words, um, autonomy and um, um, tilt rotor eVTOL aircrafts. Awesome. And you know what, what's really cool for me now is you can put on the headset and you're actually flying using a VR headset. So it feels like you're up in the, in the air when you're flying a drone. You actually get the senses almost like you're Richard with your eyes, you know. Uh, Richard, what are you yeah, seeing in the yeah. drone tech uh, space? I, I would agree with Manuel there. I think um, I, I've already mentioned that one of the things we're doing is this transit aerodynamic lift using wings because of the efficiency think the same definitely applies as Emmanuel said um I think there's there's a lot of potential in in transitioning drone flight into more of a fixed wing aerodynamic aircraft type and then transitioning back to hover and then land so a bit like a I, I suppose a bit like the Osprey as aircraft um uh, for people who've, who know that aircraft I think that's really helped address the traditional range and speed challenges that you have a, a kind of quad uh, you know arrangement of, of rotors with a, with a traditional drone uh, so I think that thing and then the same thing that, that most industries are interested in and that's going to be energy density like I mentioned the more um, uh, you know the, the, the more um, energy you can squeeze into a given volume and a given mass the better lithium batteries are still about 50 times less than gasoline or diesel from a, a, a an energy to weight point of view um so as, as as new breakthroughs come there i think that'll make a big difference awesome um we've got a question here from Tipokazi uh Luzipo, who's asking is there a form of air license required what, what do you need to do to to be a drone pilot or to you know fly like you richard we know we need to come to learn at your at your academy first um, but, you know, do you need to get some sort of license in Nigeria, Emmanuel? Oh, oh, yeah, 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 you do. So you need to register um, with the, um, the NCA for Nigeria. And there's, I believe there's an equivalent in every country. Um, so the Civil Aviation Authority of your country, and you register with them. And there you um, demonstrate that you're able to fly your drone safely. So you probably have to train um, elsewhere and then you go there to demonstrate that you can operate your drone safely. And uh, that's part of the process of getting the license. So it should vary depending on your country. 
What, what, what's the regulations in uh, the UK, Richard? Do you know? Do you know? Is it, it must be much more strict, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, it, it did change um, only in the last year or so, uh, and it got more strict, again, because of the uh, the safety uh, concerns. Um, yeah, you have to now um, go and register online, uh, especially if you're going to take any money. In other words, if you're going to be a professional drone pilot and you're going to do it as a paid-for business, then you have to get a license and you have to uh, buy a bunch of rules. You have to um, label your, you know, put a registration number on your drone and uh, buy a whole bunch of uh, different uh, you know, different legislations. Um, I, I forget exactly where there is a barrier, which if it's just a kind of toy drone and you're not doing it as a business and you keep below a certain height and uh, you go out of line of sight, I think it, it, it's a lot more relaxed. But um, so bigger, more serious filming drones and things like that that we often use, then, yeah, you have to essentially treat it as a profession. Awesome. And we got we got quite a nice question here from Crimson ZA. He's asking uh, the helmet of the suit offers AR. Are there plans for integrating integrating AR at some point? Really getting to that Iron Man level, Richard? Are you going to have some AR uh, machine in your in your headset? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, we have we have got that. So you've got an augmented reality kind of heads up display system um, in in several of the suits we use um we display engine and fuel data there uh, and it's sort of it, it does look a little bit like a sort of jet fighter or an iron man kind of helmet um it's a very neat way of seeing information because you're quite busy when you're flying your brain's wondering where you're going, how you're going to land and keeping an eye on the wind direction and stuff um and it's really quite nice to have that information portrayed in front of you um i will say though that almost every week goes that goes by there is a new company that will come up with a you know latest and best augmented reality system. So it's a technology that's that's accelerating rapidly. Um, Google Glass obviously had good go at mainstream and failed, but I think think long until there is a mainstream success story uh, to bring that same technology to everybody. Awesome. And then we've got a follow-up question here. Um, how does one get in the suit? Are there any health risks involved? Uh, I think that they, they, they sound like two separate questions, but um, getting in it uh, is very simple. It takes five seconds, really. I mean, you just um, you clip in. There's a harness usually built into what you're wearing. It's a harness in a jacket. Um, you clip in two, two little clips at the top, two little clips down by your legs and a waist, and then slide your arms into the arm assemblies and then go. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's as simple as that. And getting out of it, obviously, is the reverse. Um, health implications? No, I mean... It, I, <laughs> Like with most people, fitter and stronger you are, the quicker you'll pick up. Um, the normal run can lift a person up to around 90 kilos happily in most weathers. Uh, it's the air temperature and obviously the altitude makes a big difference. Um, and we've just built a really heavy lift version that's another 50 kilos on top of that. So there's very few people that can't lift. Um, but yeah, to learn it, it's helpful if you've got some degree of sporting background. But as I say, just like with anything really, uh, if you're going to try and learn water with no background, you know, if you've done some sort of decent bunch of sports beforehand, you'll probably pick it up quicker. But uh, other than that, no, it's uh, it's a pretty uh, discriminatory way of uh, going and you know, picking up a new thing. It's not it's not that difficult. I mean, you might see the future of work being uh, that you're actually delivering uh, products as as instead of a truck driver, you're a flying driver. 
or a, you know, flying transport. Uh, <laughs> when Daniel's got probably the lead on that, we're, we're not going to be, um, uh, you know, this is not a practical way of transporting heavy goods around. I mean, before my heavy lift version that we built recently, um, I, I haven't shown this clip anywhere because it's kind of silly, but to show how powerful it is, I actually hovered over something, one of my team on a big, heavy kind of fuel container full of water. And I was able to lift it like a Chinook helicopter and fly it around. But it's 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 kind of silly. <laughs> it's not a practical way of carrying things around. And um, I mean, who, Emmanuel, who are some of the leaders in the space? We had a few of them in the news there. But you know, who's leading the way in this uh, um, transport autonomous drone field? Uh, you know, what are some of the companies and what are they, uh, you know, what are some of the things you've seen that are coming out that's exciting? Um. In terms of scale, I would say zipline. Um, in terms of engineering, I would say wingcopter. So the, they have a beautiful design, um, same tilt rotor mechanism and with a wing. So it's um, super energy efficient. And yeah, so zipline, uh, wingcopter and Aeron. Yeah, uh, we have a tilt rotor design as well. That's awesome. I think it just you want to just explain to people who zipline is. And uh, I think most of the viewers wouldn't know uh, what what they do and that they're actually from Africa, or they will they they, they oh. operate in Africa. Yeah, so Zipline is um, a U.S.-based drone delivery company with operations in Rwanda and Ghana, and I believe they're adding a a number of African countries to that list. And so they started, uh, I think, as far back as 2014, R&D and operations probably 2016, not very sure um, on the numbers there. Uh, but they deliver medical supplies, blood um, from their um, depots, their um, storage facilities to hospitals. So they have this um, parachute mechanism where they drop the um, payload um, from the aircraft and then it lands with a parachute um, at the destination. Um, and the other then Wingcopter, there. Sorry. Yes, the other company you mentioned, Wingcopter. Yeah, yeah, Wingcopter. They're a German-based uh, um, drone manufacturer, and so they have a quite different model where um, um, they help you set up your drone delivery solution and you use their drones. Uh, so their drones are um, VTOL as well as. Um, winged um, drones so they're able to land uh, as well as um, transition to forward flight with uh, aerodynamic wings. Um, so the two different approaches, um, I feel the tilt rotor mechanism is definitely the way to go and and over time in a number of drone delivery companies would adopt that tilt rotor mechanisms and possibly zipline as well. Um, it's not just the drones and the um, delivery. So you have um, autonomous navigation um, startups, um, companies like Iris Automation um, that build computer vision-based um, sense and avoid systems so that you can add to your drones and give them um, the ability to navigate and avoid obstacles. Um, you have um, this open source approach, and then you have Skydio, who has um, developed amazing, amazing um, computer vision-based um, navigation, drone navigation tech. Uh, but I feel they're still working on um, um, being able to license that technology to third-party um, drone makers or um, 
um, drone owners so that they can add that capability to their drones. So I think they need to work on that. We need a combination of the, the drone hardware as well as the, um, the navigation tech, be it AI or whatever. We need a combination to have um, reliable flights of drones, um, whether they're unmanned or manned. Awesome. Yeah, I think that, you know, Peter Diamandis from Singularity University always talks about when these technologies, these exponential technologies are converging. It's just accelerating the acceleration of their development and, uh, you know, sort of driving the cost down. I'm, you know, I'm sure for you, Richard, you've seen the cost of all your different uh, parts to your, to your uh, uh, jet suit come down quite radically, I'm sure, over the last few years. How yeah, has it absolutely. development? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, a good example would be the arm assembly. So in other words, the, the arm sleeve and the engines either side. That unit that marries together the power of the engine and makes your arm kind of absorb the power, if you like, or, or relieve the support is probably a better way to put it. Um, that assembly, we, we 3D printed entirely in aluminium, a, a pair of those for about 30,000 pounds. So that's probably about 40,000 US dollars. Um, we then did another variant where placed the sleeve, the, the sleeve that your arm goes into with a polymer, still 3D printed, but not aluminium. That dropped the pair cost down to about 15,000 US dollars, so half the price. And we've even now managed to go to an entirely one piece polymer print by being clever with how we manage some of the heat and cooling. Um, so there's no aluminium uh, 3D printing in it and they've got down to about $800 uh, a pair. So, I mean, it, it's a bit of an extreme example, but it, it's, it shows you the, um, the leaps you can make for a, an aggressive prototype right down to something that's much more, I don't want to say mass producible, but almost. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 if we really had to, we could make these uh, jet suits really quite cheaply. But again, for reasons that I referred to earlier, it's not entirely our uh, ambition at the moment. No, thanks. That was a great example. It's just that truly shows uh, Moore's law in action and how things, the price mm. is getting better, the price performance and the cost is driving down. Um, I think yeah. we're running out of time. So I just want to ask uh, each of you could give people who are watching any advice, how do they get involved in drones or human flight? How do they become part of the ecosystem or learn about this? Uh, let's start with Emmanuel and then we'll, we'll end with you, Richard. Um, I would say always um, at, uh, attempt to do things um, from first principles. It helps you build the understanding and uh, and the ability to uh, and the flexibility to modify whatever exists into what you want. So uh, for us, we went into understanding how drones work, the engineering behind drones, down to the autopilots, uh, how the motors work, and from there, we're able to build our first drone that works, and now we can extend that and auto, um, create an autopilot that's able to fly the drones without human input. So I think it's, it's, it's always great to build from first principles, and even if you're not able to build from first principles, understand how it works fundamentally, and that can give you a lot more freedom on how you can think about innovation, innovating that technology. Awesome. Thanks. Uh, Richard, some, some closing thoughts from you? Yeah, I think in two parts. So firstly, I, I would say this, this ridiculous global challenge of COVID that doesn't look like it's disappearing any immediate time soon, I would just say 
um, we, we've had to adapt. We've had to, um, you know, our focus from doing all the events and client training that obviously became very difficult in the last few months. Um, but it wasn't actually too difficult for us because we apply to our commercial activity the same ethos that we apply from nearing perspective and that is one of relentless experimentation we are not afraid to go and keep trying things and i refer back to the rule i shared earlier we've just got to make every experiment recoverable we don't throw any we don't throw all of our financial resources or time or or any kind of um, irrecoverable commitment into anything knowing that it might not work and, and that keeps us kind of lean and mean and agile and I would say in terms of jet suiting, yes, by all means, keep enjoying what we're sharing on social media for the meantime. Um, I really hope we can bring one of these race uh, events to life uh, soon. Um, but yes, in the meantime, if you look for Gravity Industries on YouTube and also take on Gravity on Instagram and other platforms, then you can hopefully keep enjoying our uh, our ongoing development. No, well, thank, thank, thanks so much to both of you. Uh... Uh, it's really amazing and incredible what, what you guys are doing and, and the journeys that you guys are on. We're definitely going to be following uh, both of your journeys. And uh, we look forward to, Richard, you coming back to South Africa, losing a few kilos because it looks like you've been enjoying that holiday and then uh, and flying all around the track. <laughs> Just the camera angle. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. No, thank you guys so much for joining and sharing your insights on how to create a future of mobility for all. That's all we have time for today. I hope you really enjoyed that. Please make sure to go and subscribe to our Exponential Africa on our podcast channels or our YouTube channel. Uh, we really, really would appreciate, subscribe, and keep watching and learning and making a positive difference in the world. Mm -hmm.